I guess I I should give some background on how we uh, ended up here Do stealing it. Isaac's time. Also, I just thank you for bringing the family out. When we were talking, he uh, we planned this whole thing around uh, when his baby was supposed to be asleep. So what happened there? That's correct. She, they just left and went upstairs to go to sleep. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I hope they weren't waiting for this. I'd feel bad. Um, okay. No, my wife's like, she's like more tech savvy than me. And I'm like trying to get on on Safari. And then it was like not working. And she was like, uh, she calls me Totoro. And she's like, Totoro, <laughs> just try, try Google Chrome. And then I'm like, I clicked the wrong thing. I'm like, the microphone's not working. She's like, get out of the way. Hold, hold Lucy. And then, you know, she fixed it. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm glad she was here. Yeah. Um, now we're here with Isaac. Also, Isaac, forgive me. I did not even want to take an attempt at your last name. Clark, I will. Clark, I will. you got one? Okay. Go for it, guys. You guys, how about we do, you guys take turns and we'll see if anyone gets close. Oh, no. Okay. I'm going to say Gabeef. Close. I just yeah. sounded, sounded out. Isaac, I couldn't get your first name right when it was. <laughs> it's Isaac. Um, it's just Isaac now. That's what it is. No, it's um, it's Gabayef is the last name. Ooh, I think I would have went Gabef. Gabef, like, yeah. It's often butchered. Um, you know, there was definitely a discussion at some point about whether I should just use my middle name as like a stage name, which is Lee. You know, oh. Lee is kind of a non-denominational name. It could be Asian, could be black, could be yeah. white, could be anything i don't know it could be confederate actually so, god <laughs> that is it was definitely a little family blowback like people were like what the fuck like our name is not good enough for you you know and i was like you know what let's it's a modern age let's go with goodbye you know it's just i've had like uh you know my favorite misspelling of the name was on a letter that i received like a piece of junk mail that said isaac go beat off oh <laughs> Was that I a command? Like either that's some IA just getting it wrong, or that's some person like. <laughs> well, Isaac, you ended up trapped. Actually, you know, it's funny. Last week we had a guest on who um, we credited as Dutch, and he also was using his middle name. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Use that as an argument. As in his time. name is Dutch, not his nationality. Right. Yeah. 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 That, that, that could be confusing. Yes. Okay. Now. Isaac, you're you're here trapped with us because, jeez, uh, a few weeks ago, Clark, um, he took a vacation for the first time in five years, and he was gone for a month. And because I I can't, I I have some weird thing. I have to constantly be productive and moving forward, otherwise I'm alone with my thoughts and I get really weird. And I was like, you know, I'm just I'll keep it going. And instead of a guest show, we'll cut it down to one, and we'll have guest hosts on, which was a great idea, Clark. Now, all every guest host showed up nervous, and I'm like, well, why don't you pick any movie you want? Just give me one, and I'll watch it, and we can talk about it, and it will be kind of like a easy introduction, and uh, it will lubricate the conversation. Ew. And I, no, I, I'm not happy with that either. Yep. And uh, we had uh, the last, our final guest host, Charlie Dickey, came on, and he sent me a DM, and the first movie in there was The Sand. I didn't even realize there was another movie, which he called me out on on the episode because I didn't even read it. I just looked at the, uh, then, um, what the hell do you call that? The preview of the message. And I was like, okay, the send. and Charlie's quirky. And he, 
he'll watch films that most people wouldn't approach, even if they're like a horror fan and they're like dollar bin at, I don't know, Walmart or something. So I'm like, he's probably got a deep cut cool thing right here that I might just have to power through. And uh, it was your movie, The Sand. And I I think the, his only pitch was, um, if if you want to watch a thing to talk about, why don't you pop on Tubi and watch exactly what Tubi's here for, uh, this overlooked movie, The Sand. And, I, I, you know, if you do any amount of research, you're like, wait, there's sand eating people on a beach? Okay. Instantly, that paints kind of like a sci-fi picture. And um, it really lowered the bar coming in, and I was shocked. And I don't, did you go back and listen to my review of it? You know, I haven't. I, w- I really was trying to like catch time to do that, and it's been it's been like nuts because I just haven't had a day off up until like the last three days with Christmas. Like, I was almost going to try to get to it this morning, and I apologize about that. Oh, too. excuses, dude. I, I, mean, will, I will get to it though. <laughs> it's not a big deal. I'm sure uh, you'll get enough compliments here. Anyway, my my thesis of the film was kind of there's there's no reason this movie should be anywhere near as good as it is. And as a fan, you know, on the show, we talk a lot about um, how we don't line up with so bad it's good. So I go into the movies like The Room and I kind of look at that as a misarticulation of a foreigner trying to understand American culture. And it's beautiful. Like you get a, a window into his mind. Like this bizarre world he's created. So, you know, I come into these things and I try to like really pay attention and I'm just like, oh, this is just good. Like normally I have to formulate some sort of argument, but your film takes an absurd premise and it just plays it straight, but is also self-aware and there's just good dramatic acting. And I honestly, I think the only thing you could really complain about is the CGI, but I'm sure we could get into that because you also have great special effects here. So thank you for joining us. And I hope uh, the sand is a positive memory. Uh, the sand is definitely a positive memory. I appreciate all those kind words that, that like without getting too personal about it, that like makes me happy when someone has that like impression of the film, because, you know, like the film is like in a way meant to be taken a certain way. And yet the filmmaker is never going to get to explain that, especially with a movie like the sand, like it just is, it gets made and then it gets out there. So I feel like if you get it, that's fantastic. If you don't get it, you know, that's also okay. Uh, Just because um, you can't control what people, you know, how they respond to the material. And so, um, you know, the film played at Film 4 Fright Fest and there was like a rash of reviews that basically said something to the effect of what you're saying. And that helped to kind of set it in the right place. And that's what got it sold at Showtime. It got picked up like by Icon, who did like, you know, who distributed It Follows and like a couple other things. And then, you know, like Showtime was concerned. I don't know if you guys know this is by the time it's on Tubi, it's back to the sand. When it was on Showtime, it was like uh, they changed the title of the movie to Blood Sand. Oh. You know, they, they sort of had, you know, they were like, we want to be sure that people are knowing that this is a horror movie and not, you know, like the sand. What is that? They don't know a horror. If it's in the horror category, sure. But like just on whatever first look. So um, they changed the title and then Showtime played that movie. Like, and I'm not sure. I don't want to date you guys in terms uh-huh. of like how old you are. But like when I was a kid, they used to have these things that we kind of call them HBO movie of the month where they would just play the movie like over and over again, like every day or every other day they'd play that movie at some point. 
And essentially, Showtime did that. They played that movie, our movie, The Sand, like every day or every other day for two years. Wow. So a lot of people ended up seeing that movie who didn't even know that like I had anything to do with it or just randomly like the way that they just sort of pummel people with like material. They did that. So by the time we got to Tubi, I'm not even sure because I don't have Tubi. But, you know, I someone had reached out to me to say like, hey, you know, your movie's like in some top trending thing on Tubi. So I was sort of like, uh, you know, not surprised to hear that that's where you guys had seen it randomly because to me somehow the movie just like, like it won't die, you know? Yeah. It, just, it keeps popping up somehow and people keep finding a way to like enjoy the movie. Like, I don't know, like a, two years ago, someone sent me this Reddit, like, you know, thread. It was like the funniest fucking thing I've ever read. Like just like thousands of comments, just of people talking about how the movie was sucked or it was good or they loved it or they hated it or whatever with many Star Wars references to Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> what? Why Anakin? Well, I guess in the prequel movies, he has some thing in the prequels where he says something like, I, I hate the sand and it's coarse. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know? <laughs> He's talking about Tatooine. Yeah. 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 Damn, that's, that's pretty good. You have memes of that? Now, it's funny, because you talk about a film fest, understanding your film, and then it kind of getting out. I I remember when I learned this, and um, we had a homie fly out here to show his film, 1974, La Possession de which is a shot-on-film, um, found-footage movie that... Eight millimeter. Eight millimeter. It just works. And it's really interesting. It's foreign. It's got good scares in it. And I remember we're sitting there as programmers for um, the Unnamed Footage Festival, and we're like... How how does a movie like this not just take off? Like, how do people not just get it? And every, we showed it, and everybody loved it. And I remember we were hanging out with the director at a bar next door called Dimples. And I'm like, dude, your movie fucking rules. What's up? Why don't you have distribution? He's like, hey, man. He just put his arm on my shoulder. He's like, every time I play a film fest, this happens. Everybody, they love it, and they understand it. He's like, you show that to an audience that's not, like, you know, paying to sit in a seat or... It's on TV and, you know, it doesn't work so well. And I think that's what's happening with you. Also, with the sand, you come in and you kind of have, you're prejudging that movie already hard. I know I was, and I was kind of trying to have an open mind, but. We have a hard heart. I do have a hard heart. You know, that's the beauty of it, though. You can, you can just, you know, like, I don't know if that's specific to me or something else. Because, like, I've seen those sci-fi movies and one of our producers on that movie who had helped produce the other feature that I've done, which isn't really like out yet, which is like a much weirder movie. It's not a horror movie. It's um, it combines like live action and animation. It's called the art of storytelling. Oh. And it's about this low budget film production. Anyway, the guy who was the producer, producer on that movie, he had produced, I think like 10 or 13 films for sci-fi. So when this situation had come up to do the movie, I pretty much like knew he was the right guy to like call and say like, Hey, will you do this? Cause this was like in his repertoire of like how to produce a film for half a million dollars or under, you know? And, um, you know, part of what happened just like the backstory that, you know, no one else is going to understand about this is that really, I was supposed to make this entirely different movie. It was this movie called, where are you going? which is about four people who are on a boat sailing between the islands in Hawaii. It's like 
you know, not to get too artsy, cinematic-y, in, indie please, about please it. But it was, you know, it's like about the shifting sexual social dynamics between these two guys and two girls. Wow. You know, so uh, this alpha guy and his buddy, they own a boat. They have a girl who's like their matey who kind of goes along with them. And she's got one of the guy, the nice, nicer guy and her have like, you know, like a friendship. There's something between them. She's got a boyfriend. The premise of the movie is that she's just broken up with her boyfriend and is going to tell him like, you know, we broke up and, you know, that, use that as some chance for them to get together. And he invites this other girl who's like his fuck buddy to come along on the thing. And as the four people are just trapped inside this, this closed space of the boat and the ocean, all this stuff unfolds over the course of like a few days. So we were going to make that movie and we had, you know, Sebastian Stan, Olivia Thurlby, Kyle Gallner and this actress, Troy and Belisario were going to play those parts. And when Olivia had to drop out of the movie, to do some other movie and we couldn't rework the scheduling we lost uh you know the whole project just fell apart basically we couldn't replace her for like in the short amount of time that we, they wanted to so by my account everything was just over and then you know it's like almost i mean it sounds like made up but it's not it's like i literally was watching this Roger Corman documentary at 10 o'clock in the morning. And there was like an interview with Peter Bogdanovich and he's talking about, Oh, you know, I wanted to be a director and I worked for Harvey and he told me that if I came along to Ireland and, you know, they had shot half a movie somewhere that never, they couldn't finish. And he said, if you can think up a story that goes along with this footage and finish the film, I'll give you the crew on the weekend and you can become a director. And I'm like watching this going like, wow, that's like amazing to me that like this guy who's this amazing filmmaker that people love somehow like was working for this guy making B horror stuff, you know, and then did like the last picture show. I think he did like two pictures for Harvey. And, you know, if you don't know about Harvey Corman, I'm sure you guys do. But like if anyone doesn't, Harvey Corman's like the most produced, you know, producer in all of Hollywood history. He makes these schlocky movies, made a lot of money doing it. And a million like amazing people went through his, the Harvey Corman school of like learning how to make films and then going on to doing something very special with their lives. Not to draw too much parallel between Harvey Corman and I, but I literally was watching the scene. The producers call me and said, you know, like, what's going on? Like, and I'm thinking like the movie is dead. We don't have it. There's nothing happening. And they're like, we have a problem. And I'm like, what problem? Like, what are you guys calling me? You have a problem. Like I'm the one who lost the movie. I worked for a year and a half on this. And they were like, we have to make a movie. We, we signed a contract and we're going to take the money and make a film. And it doesn't matter that we're not going to make, where are you going? We have to make a movie by January. This is in early November. And so we want you to direct this movie. We just don't know what this movie is. We don't even have a script, but we're going to find one. And you have to give us an answer today. What do you think? And I said, yeah, let's do it. I mean, this is like adventures in filmmaking. This doesn't get weirder than this. And I'm like, this is fate telling you, make this fucking movie. Just say yes. You got to do it. It's a paid gig. And so we started reading scripts and like 
it sounds stupid to say, but the sand was the best that we could find. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the ones that you instantly rejected? Do you um, remember? Oh, yeah, I remember. There was one that was called um, Psychotherapy, which was oh, about no. <laughs> like it was like about a nerdy guy who is like goes to see a therapist and like the patient before him is this like psychotic biker who like, you know, weasels his way into the guy's life, you know, like I think oh. it's about like the guy comes out from the session after meeting this guy, you know, he's trouble. And then like his tires are, you know, been slashed and he's like, Oh my car, you know? And then this guy comes up like, Hey man, you need a ride? And, <laughs> you know, like that type of thing. Like it weasels his way into this guy's life. It was like, um, you know, I was like, imagine like Rick Moranis or like Tim Kazarinski or something you know, like one of those guys, like the dude and just like the guy from raising Arizona, you know, the like evil biker guy. Um, no. The movies like that are kind of made or broken by their casting. And I feel like at least that seems approachable if boring. So how how the hell do you land on a movie that requires sand to eat your cast? Like, it seems like such a more like daunting production. Well, you know, I, I feel like you're, you got to work off a little bit like what speaks to you. And this was like, <laughs> unlike other you know, I don't know, like premises for how people would get to making a movie. There was like a little bit of a democratic process because we had the producers too. like, what do you think we can do and how can we do this? And, you know, any movie is like presents its own problems, you know, like we, I felt like the sand, I'm like, I understand this humor enough. I feel like I get this movie that I could like do the movie, try to do the movie justice in some way. Of course that might completely fucking fail but <laughs> you know maybe maybe you're lucky maybe you're a little bit like you know know what you're doing or or who knows but you know there's like many different things that happen too i mean in terms of like the effects where we were talking to like one of the producers guys and he was saying like you know if you want the fire on the beach you know a flaming tentacle like that's fifty thousand dollars and we're like fifty thousand dollars like how's that possible you know there's got to be someone out there who could do that and he's like that's it you know i work in tv and if you want a flaming tentacle 50 grand you know, <laughs> you know? so we you, know, you move on from him and the guys that we got to do all the effects were like these um younger like upstarts and they get like pieces of films kind of farmed out to them you know so they had done some stuff for like you know 20th century fox for like a young x-men and some other things and they thought they could do it not to be unfair to them but you know i don't want to be like um let's say i don't want to be like shy about it like you know they definitely bit off more than they could chew and did not deliver all of the uh you know, shots that were promised on the film. Oh. And so that's just part of filmmaking period too, is like, how do you roll with, you know, not to get like a uh, instructional about it, but it's like, how do you roll with just shit that's happening? You know, if you don't have the shot that you need, like pump, you know, what can you do to pump up the sound design or something like that? You yeah. know, you can't get stuff as, cause you know, people try to figure it out. And, you know, also to be a fair, like the effects guys, like, you know, not, uh, like I don't I don't hate the effects the effects are what they are but you know it was like we had them there every day on set there's a mix of practical and computer yep. stuff and I'm sure in everyone's mind you know you're like this is gonna look like 
you know, the greatest <laughs> thing you've ever seen. This is going to be fucking Star Wars. And then you get it and you're all, well, you know, close enough. Okay. It's the same. Okay. Isaac, I got a bunch of things to mention here. One, uh, the special effects are peaks and valleys for sure. I think your practical, they look great. The CGI looks like anything you would expect from like sci-fi, which is, you know, not great. I mean, you get the uncanny valley thing there, but it works. So, hey, don't worry about it. Um, now, it's funny that you mentioned Roger Corman because I should clarify when I mentioned sci-fi movie, I don't like there's nothing against sci-fi channel. I actually like that cha- or I used to. Um, what I think I'm articulating there is just that Corman style of let's make a movie. And sometimes there's not a lot of heart in it. So when you get just a quick sci- turnaround, yeah, you get like low level studio production and it kind of feels like impersonal and rush just on to the next one. Yeah. So, you know, if the, if the filmmakers are boring or bored with their film, the audience is going to kind of walk away from that too. And it's usually concept, not a lot of uh, execution. Also your first film sounds amazing. Uh, that, that four way relationship drama on the ocean instantly reminded me of the knife in the water, which was one of my favorite experiences that I had in, uh, the brief film school. I took. And it's been four or five episodes since you've mentioned I, knife in the water. So good for you. Well, I'm very educated in film theory. No, it I, is. I love Polanski and, um, he's got a lot of, like, he's a good guy. Up. Good guy. Polanski. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, the most interesting artists are usually the most troubled humans. A little, and, the, the most rapey humans. Yeah. yeah. The most rapey. Well, I mean, knife in the water. I, the thing about the knife in the water <laughs> is there's three people on a boat and there's one knife and there's a power struggle and a relationship quandary. Oh, I've, uh, seen, I've seen the film many times. Yeah. See, so, I'm I'm curious now. Did you have a a crew ready to make a like modern age Polanski tale of, uh, you know, gender play on the ocean, or did, and you pivot them into a sci-fi kind of horror film? Also, no, gender play on the ocean, the working title. <laughs> yeah, we the shifting tides of the crew. Um, no, no, there was you know there was like a semi-assembled crew that was supposed to go to Hawaii and then. You know, when we didn't go to Hawaii, we had like a co- it was a completely different crew of people who, you know, were there in Ventura, which is like we went to this place called Surfer's Cove and we shot the entire thing in this area. You know, we scouted like a few different beaches and, you know, there's an interesting like um, friendship between like film and commerce, you know, so like the city of Ventura was very much like they wanted us to come there and like. I'll stay in the hotel and use the production money, which would go to things in the city of Ventura. So they said, Hey, we can like move this, you know, the lifeguard tower, wherever you want. And we can accommodate you guys with this little, you know, beach. I mean, that's not in all in all, not a big thing. They just put it on this little tractor and slide it. It's on like sleds, you know, but they're like, we will set it up for you and, you know, keep the beach kind of closed for you guys or whatever, for whatever. We only filmed 12 days. So. Yeah. Um, and then we, you know, we get the whole cast and crew up in this hotel there. And, um, you know, that was its own like, um, kind of reality TV show. Just yeah. having you know, cast members when you're, there. When you're talking about shifting films, I just, I imagine that you had this like French highbrow cinematographer and then, you know, the next day you hit him up and you're like, Hey, we're doing a beach horror movie now. Oh, I can tell you this. The cinematographer for the first movie just dropped the fuck off the face okay. of the earth. He was like, we're not making this? Okay, I'm out of here, you know? Yeah. 
Um, so that's fine too. You know, that's uh, <laughs> you, you learn. There's a, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of little hard lessons learned about you know people's allegiances as like things do or don't coalesce in any specific direction. And you know, just to be fair to that movie. Uh, where you going is not really it's not that comparable to knife in the waters maybe some similar elements but at that time i never had seen that knife in the water uh, and i didn't want to i was like i i watched it after the movie was written and going into production that i was like may, i've heard this movie is similar but i like try not to do that that was another thing too with the sand is that later everyone started comparing it to blood beach which is another oh, movie yeah. i yep. had have never seen yet and had never heard of when we made the sand. I'm guessing maybe the writers had, but I don't know. Yeah. Blood beach actually, um, Charlie recommended it would make a good double feature. And I think he's right because really the movies are completely different with a similar idea. So, I think that, you know, the marketing people too, if I'm correct, they, and you know, they like to steal things that they think they think work Oh, and yeah. they sort of, you know, borrowed the element of Blood Beach for the poster of the sand, you know, which is the girl going like, ah, you know, you know, getting swallowed by the sand or something like that. I had no idea. I'm not a huge fan of Blood Beach. Like, don't kill me out there, people listening. But it's one of those, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I own it, if that gets me any cred. But I, I like the sand more, honestly. Well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> you get the cred in my book. Yeah, you made the superior uh, "The Beach Is Gonna Eat You" movie. Also, I, I'm, I found it curious to hear about you talking about the special effects department. I think when I reviewed your film, I had assumed you were an FX guy because I look at your credits on IMDb and you have seventy six in the art department. Um, that's true. Well, you know, I've worked in crew like for a very long time, and I've had like a pretty, you know. You know, not not that this is like your uh, audition for a job here, you know, like, uh, but it's like I went to school for animation and then I worked on James and the Giant Peach when I was in, like on my way out of college and like just have done a lot of different stuff. Ended up in the art department, but not in the effects department. Not at all. Like, I wouldn't say I don't know anything about effects, but I know a fair bit from being on set for 20 years and like watching how things are done, especially like have absorbed a level of seeing how it works on like, you know, some really big movies. If you look at the list, like I did work on men in black three and amazing Spider-Man two. And those things were like, you know, some of those times for just for specifically those movies, I worked on like, you know, the stunt units or something. So like on men in black three, I worked for a month on this sequence where they travel through time and they do this car chase all around the city. And I mean, it's probably a minute and a half of the film, but like it was, you know, definitely a little bit of like a master class and watching how the effects are and then seeing how they are in the movie. Same thing with the spider amazing Spider-Man two. I worked for a month, like Every on all night shoots for a month at the scene at the like um, Times Square when Electro comes to life and just destroys Times Square. And like, you know, they had built they had built a fake Times Square out in Long Island at this, you know, huge like studio in this open lot. And we just filmed like elements of that scene for a month, you know, and then to see it in the movie, it's like. A minute so <laughs> we got like effects guys to come in and then we talked everything through we actually did this thing you know this like previs 
where they created the set. And then we like used all these, uh, you know, like little crummy 3D models and we like made them say the words and stuff, you know, like <laughs> Marja, look out. it's going to India you know we we showed that to the actors too just to kind of show like hey this is how we have like a b and c planned out like right before we did this table read with them and it was like I think I said something like you guys are all fired and we're just (laughs) (laughs) we were just talking about the amazing Spider-Man 2 last night right Mm. That's like your favorite, isn't it, Clark? Okay, no, Spider-Man 2, not oh, the Amazing Spider-Man. What's the Amazing Spider-Man then? Andrew Garfield. Oh, that's, okay, that's, I like Andrew Garfield. Oh, totally a, different movies. Yeah. No, I also like Andrew Garfield. I don't like him as Peter Parker. Okay. All right, that's a different. <laughs> Andrew Garfield and I share a birthday. Oh, really? Yes. Is he from Mississippi too? You know the answer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Now, dude, you've got some credits in here. You like uh I know one Oksana was um interested about was Queer Eye. And then okay. you got like Eat Pray Love. You got like you said, Men in Black Three, but the one I like is The Place Beyond the Pines. You've had a the great HBO failure known as Vinyl. Oh, you love that. I liked Vinyl. I I mean, give you guys tidbits about what I did on those jobs. If you're interested in knowing, if you have a question specifically, you know. Well, I think it's a perfect opportunity as this is a podcast. (laughs) We can offer those avenues available. Ask away. Let me dish the dirt, you know. I know you want to ask about vinyl. Go ahead. I mean, what's what is there to ask about vinyl? Did you know it was going to be the most expensive failure in the history of television? I mean, you know, not really. And when I was worked on vinyl, you know, like I've done all these different jobs, like aside from directing, I've done these different jobs because like just in in reference to directing, I feel like part of what a lot of people who are directors don't necessarily get. And this is not to like say one is better than the other, but like there's like an old joke that like a director and a PA are the two people on a set who know the least about it, you know? And conversely, I would say it's like the opposite for me because I've done like I've been a set dresser. I've been an onset dresser. I've been onset props, a prop master. I've done production design. I've done greens, you know, and done all these different things, you know, in service of other people's stories and working on as a part of their team. So it's specifically with vinyl. I was part of the greens department and that was like the easiest job in the world for me. I would spend some of the days on set when they would have a lot of plants and I would move those plants around and, you know, prune them and kind of crush and kill the plants to whatever the production's liking was. Oh, we need this big plant that's got to fit in this tiny thing. And you just hack the root ball off. That's it. And then <laughs> the next thing or whatever. When um, we did the pilot, there was like um, the house that Bobby Cannavale lives in. Yeah. They, the people who own it live out. And it's out in Sands Point in Long Island on, on the water. And the people who lived there had this gigantic pirate ship, like Playland, that was something that they had kept from their kids. And they had like told us in the production, like, you know, we love it. We don't want to get rid of it or whatever. And so like the designer was like, we got to figure out a way around this. And so the greens guy I worked for, he said like, we're going to, you know, create these sticks, this wall or whatever. We're going to cut up a bunch of these evergreen plants and we're going to stack them. Like it's going to go like deep in the background so that when you look at it, it looks like a hedge. You're not, it's going to go in front of this pirate ship. So you really, 
if you know what you're looking at in the pilot, you'll never you'll never see what you're supposed to not be seeing. That's the idea. And so I went down to this nursery with him. And I mean, obviously, the people who are listening to the podcast, you can't see what I look like. But like, I roll down to the nursery and I go like, all right, I need like, you know, 20 of these evergreen plants. They got to be like eight to 10 feet tall. And the guy was like, oh, my gross is great. Let me get to let's take a look at these beauties, you know, and I'm like, like, oh, I can already tell this guy loves plants. He's not going to like this, you know, and I go like, <laughs> you know, $15,000 worth of plants on the production bill. And then I was like, do you guys have a, um, you know, like a dumpster here? And he's like, a dumpster? Why? And I said, I'm going to have to cut off all the root balls of the plants. And he was like, what? <laughs> you can't do that. These plants are 15 years old. And I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, this is the way it works. So sorry. And then just ripped open this chainsaw and just, <laughs> just like just killing the plants so that we could construct this thing. And the look on the guy's face was like, he's horrified, you know, but his pockets are full. <laughs> well, you know, that's, this is why capitalism loves the film business. <laughs> they spend all this money and then they just, you know, like it all gets torn down. It li- you know, lives forever on film and that's it. And then like, aside from that, on vinyl, you know, one of the things I used to do was just inside the American Century Records set, um, you know, they the designer wanted all real plants. So I had these like 50 different plants and when they would they would call me ahead of time and I would go in and like water the plants and take care of them with like great care. That's what they paid for. That's what they got. So the first guy who did that job killed all the plants because they said, here, you know, you're going to get paid eight hours to go in there. It's really like an hour's worth of work. You go in, you water the plants delicately, give a little drip to them and make sure that they're like well fed. And that guy went in and just poured water on the things and ran out of there because he was like, yeah, I'm getting paid. And then all the plants died. So then they fired him and they asked me to do it. Now, vinyl on IMDb says it came out in 2016. Did that film before the sand or after? Um, I think, yeah, that filmed after the sand. So right. I was now, already, we'd already got it in the can. And then, you know, I think we filmed it in 2014 or something like that in December 2014. And then you know, finished it around like maybe April, May or something like that. Now, had the, was the sand out already by the time you were on vinyl? Uh, yeah, I think maybe it was uh, somewhere. I, I forget a little bit. It seems like, I guess it's like been a while. Just a lot of those things have like bled together, but I definitely never really stopped working and what I was doing. And for sure there were people who like, you know, knew that I had directed that movie. I feel like that's one of the funny things without sounding too like, you know, like wah wah about it was like, (laughs) you know, you tell people, oh, we're going to go make this movie with Sebastian Stan and so and so. And, you know, all of a sudden you come back and you're like, we made the sand. (laughs) But like, you also had Jamie Kennedy and Mitchell Musso in the sand. So you still got name value. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not like overly a name whore about it, too. I (laughs) I don't care. Um. Just to that point, what you were bringing up was like about how you want to treat the movie, something like The Sand was like, I 
you know, have worked because of the working on TV and stuff. I had worked with a lot of directors who like, they have these great opportunities. They literally have the best job in the world. And they're up there fucking complaining about their job. Like, oh, I just like got to do this like fucking show or whatever. Like if the show's not cool enough for them or something. And so when we did the sand, I felt like really aware of that somehow. Like, you know, like I felt the responsibility of that somehow. Like, I'm going to get in there and really try to do a decent job, like a good job. And I'm definitely not going to sit here and whine and complain about doing this movie, even though this is like an insane situation, you know, like I was never supposed to be making this movie, but yet I want to treat it like I fucking care about every frame, every performance. And I mean, that was what was happening on set too. You know, some of the actors didn't need too much direction and others like you had to work to get them you know, to where they're supposed to be. Or you're trying to get some someone to cry or be sad about something and like they don't you know, they can't get there in their mind, then you gotta you gotta work to like perpetuate a story about or something about what they're supposed to feel based on something real that's happened. And that worked. Or insult them. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that's part of it too. I, I'd, I'd be like, it'd be a stretch for me. I don't know if anyone is ever going to be like listening to this, you know, but like there is definitely a Kubrickian element to manipulating people when it comes to direction. I've seen a lot of people too, like the benefit of working on shows and movies and stuff like that is getting to see how people can work to either like bolster or manipulate actors and do get them to do things. And actors, you know, are... They're sensitive people in a way, you know, so that you can use that to your own device. You know, I felt like I've seen some people get up there and they're especially with big stars. They are really like, oh, that was great. You're so great. You were so great. And like, <laughs> you know, even when I was doing stuff, you know, I felt like if someone wasn't doing something that I liked, I would say, like, I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> buy it. I don't oh. buy that. I don't buy that at all. Try again. Damn. You know, you'd say something and you kind of like devastate them a little bit. Like you see the blood drain out of their face. Like, what the fuck? He just told me I'm terrible. You know, and <laughs> like, that's right. That was terrible. You can do better than that. Let's try again. And they, Man, you know, the, like, the picture here is really coming together for me because at this time, just to give people context, you've had about 70 credits under your belt. So you're weathered and you learned, I, I've been listening to a military podcast recently okay. and uh, well, in the holidays, nobody puts anything up. So I'm out there exploring and I heard a, um, a former SEAL team leader talk about the best kind of leadership you can have is humble. You just be a humble leader and you need to listen to your team. It's interesting because I hear you kind of intuitively figuring that out here and then you add on that and you got to manipulate a little bit. And I've, you know, acting is a thing that I never want to do. The, the whole thing terrifies me. And when I trying to understand the brain of an actor is these people are almost completely the opposite in a mental state from like a regular civilian. Like I live my life burying emotion. Like if, if you came to me with that, I hate it. I don't believe it. I've trained myself to just like swallow that and like deal with it later. Which is why you'll be dead by eight. I'm sure. But you know, like actors, you have to be emotionally available on the drop of a dime if you want to be good at it. Yeah. So they become erratic and weird in public. And I could just imagine that crushing somebody on set. 
especially with people looking and they're like, I'm on this fucking dumb sand movie and this guy's ripping me up. Well, you know, part of it too is like, just to, you know, like get into one detail there is just it, try crushing people a little bit in private, you know, you know, you don't <laughs> call them instead, like, and say like, you know, with the megaphone, like you suck, it's horrible, you know, no, you don't do that. You just, you get them in close and, you know, it's like, um, I, I would say like I'm working from my own limited experience. So none, none of this, I, it's not meant to sound too, too crackerjacky wisdomish or anything, but it's like, in essence, like the director is like the coach or someone they did many times for in many, in most situations, the actors, like they want to please you. They want you to be happy. Either that, or they're like egomaniacs and they're just going to do whatever they do. And they're not going to listen to a fucking word you say or something to that effect. But I felt like part of the odd thing about this cast was that like, they seem to like look up to me and want to like, most of them want to do a good job, you know? So that was part of the, like interesting position to be in them, you know, we're like trying to get them to do something because of the way that we had to make that conscious decision about the movie. Like, are we trying to play this, the humor straight and like play the movie straight and let the humor come out? Or are we trying to play the humor like as humor, like, like zombievers or something where it's wow. just like, we are in a movie and it's fucking ridiculous. And we're, we're in the audience and all of us are in on the joke. And, you know, I think that probably the producers were a little worried, even though they thought that was the best line of action for this movie, that they were a little worried, like, can Isaac pull it off? Is he going to fuck this up? You know, like, which I feel like, you know, you didn't, I didn't. And it's, it's also like, let's get back to basics here. It's the sand. This is not, you know, out of Africa or something. Like, you can take all this stuff. I don't know if anything that I did would have worked for a different director either. So, I mean, I try not really to think about that. You just try to stay focused on what you're doing yourself. But, you know, you know, it was, a, it was an experience for the ages. And it was like, for me, you know, because it just, it was such an insane situation to be in as far as like, how the fuck did we end up, you know, with three weeks of prep on a, you know, <laughs> this movie, but yet like we're doing it. So, you know, and the DP, he couldn't even, he couldn't even, he was on a different project. He could barely even give me the time that we, you know, needed in prep where you're sitting with that person every day. So that was another, like, not, I wouldn't say stressful element, but it was a little bit like, well, let's just, hopefully this turns out good, you know, cause we barely had the prep. So I had to kind of depend on him to be like, you know, you're going to have to, I'm going to let you do your thing a little more. And I'm going to, I have my shots and things that I want and we can talk about that. But I was also, you know, kind of, you know, that was like a, a right when you're starting out too, that's a delicate time too, where there's always a lot of personalities on set who want to try to take over you're set and think they know better and you have to kind of be a bullhead and sort of stand your ground about what's going on. You know, as I think you've gone, as of like things have moved forward, you get, get to command a little more authority when you know everything about what you're talking about and why. But I think, you know, that was like one of those moments where there was like some touchy things that happened. I feel like people were trying to, you know, get in there and try to flex on stuff. And you had to kind of flex back to be like, you know, keep control of the set. Now, 
in the uh, pitch I got from Charlie, he mentioned uh, we we call him Birdman. Uh, he used to have an, a bird watching app that he did this bit that we thought was hilarious. So we just kind of gave him the name Birdman. The bit was his life. Yeah, the bit is his life, and he he loves watching movies with animals. So every everything he's covered, there's always an animal element. So when he sent me the sand, the animal element here, because I knew I was looking for it, was the seagull gets eaten by the beach. And honestly, that was one of the things that hooked me right off the bat. Now, I definitely want to hear about that. But the other thing, which I mentioned briefly earlier, that I'm sure has only been a negative for this film, was Mitchell Musso, who I non-ironically enjoyed Hannah Montana back in the day. I have two younger sisters, and there's a big age gap, like uh, over a decade, and they would just eat it up. So I enjoyed the music. I mean, I'd, I've watched a lot of like Blues Clues in my life because they were so much younger, and I knew Ms. Mitchell Musso, but I'm also aware that people... You know, the the surrounding cast of a show where one person has a huge booming career, they're always the afterthought and they always become a punchline of a joke. Like, oh, look at that. The loser from Hannah Montana. And I'm I'm just curious how he got attached to the sand, especially Whoa. when he did. Also, uh, before you answer that, Isaac, the Go one ahead. thing you do need to know is that Russell can name, let's call it 10 actors. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not great with actor names. So the fact that he knows yeah. Mitchell Musso, yeah, that that's is just that's just setting you the, the base level of where we are here. Well, you know, I think occasionally this happens in this business has definitely happened with me, you know, before it was like um, he came in and he tried out for the part of Jonah. And, you know, that's the um, you know, he, that's like the jockey character. Yeah. And um I didn't know who he was. I've never seen Hannah Montana. I think that was a little, you know, I'm 46. So that was a little before my time, but you know, to be fair, I like to watch television. I like to consume a lot of stuff and I, I take some weird pride in knowing a lot about like actors, shows, things, stuff like that. So it's not like I didn't know what Hannah Montana was, but I honestly had never seen the show. So when he came in, he tried out for Jonah I was like, you know, I'm not really seeing this guy as Jonah, but I do see him as that character, you know, as the kind of like, uh, you know, he's like the good, the nice guy who's like hoping to slip in there. Yep. That's that, you know, that's that sort of type, you know, because the film for sure deals in types of like, here's this, you know, bitchy friend who's the cheater. And then here's like, you know, you're kind of uh you know, the heroine of the movie and then there's the jock and this, you know, the fat guy. And there's like, you know, all these different things, the, the, you know, the playboy bunny, she gets eaten right away. And there's like the other guy who got, who got, you know, he gets eaten pretty fast too. He was, everyone had some thing that they had done at that time, you know, so go back whatever, you know, six years from now. And it was like, I think Dean Geyer played Jonah had just had this like season arc on Glee. Um, you know, Hector David Jr., who was the guy who's doing all the acrobatics who gets eaten right away. He was the green power ranger. And then Hell yeah. uh, and then they had, you know, the girl who played Chandra. I think she was just kind of up and coming. And I, I believe that she like went on to kind of have a little more of a TV career. And Brooke Butler and 
and then Mitchell Musso. And so I don't know. I said, well, I don't know. I don't see him as Jonah, but what about this part? And they were kind of later when they were saying like, oh yeah, let's move forward with this guy. They were like, you know, he was on Hannah Montana. <laughs> I mean, I didn't really know that. So I was like, okay, you know, I didn't really have to feel like I had that knowledge of what he was to like treat him in a certain way. But I, it never really like occurred to me later that that was like a good or a bad thing. You know, and no, then, it's, it's funny because you, you instinctively put him in the position that he was in on the show. Now, on the show, there are two like main leads that aren't uh, her father in real life. And one of them is like her brother, who is one of those Disney uh, adult men who look like they're 14 forever. And there's Mitchell Musso, who's the infinitely friend zone character on the show. So in this now, uh, just to give a, a little bit of setup for the sand, we open up with like this in-world camera vignette of people partying on the beach, and it's all these pretty people. Like we really get that um, low-level studio look of oh, these are all aspiring actors who are beautiful people, and you know they're like extras here, kinda. And then we have Mitchell Musso, who's looking a little rough compared to his uh, Disney days, which actually I thought helped the film. Like, it's like, oh, okay, Mitchell Musso. What do you mean by a little rough? He, well, I mean, in Disney, you know, the production, he's just like, everybody's looking 110%. This is 15 years ago. I, now, Mitchell Musso, he, he doesn't have that, like, boy next door, next door charm that, you know, Disney would imprint on you. Yeah. And he's looking a little uh, like he's trying to slide in with the good guy thing. And he intro- he's the one that kicks off the whole Vegas rules, which I thought was hilarious. And everyone's like, what does that mean? He's like, well, I'm taking all your phones and whatever happens tonight, you know, it stays here like in Vegas and they lock it up in a trunk. Beautiful way to deal with. So one thing, I hate it when horror movies feel the need to deal with the phone problem because it always feels so like. It feels so tacked on, kind of like, hey, here's an obstacle we need to get over. You actually made it interesting, and I wasn't even thinking of it in that context. So when it happened, I was thinking, who's this creep? And then as the movie goes on, you learn he is he's the, the nice guy who's hanging out with the uh, lead actress trying to slip in on Vegas night that he invented. Dude, I thought it was brilliant. He seemed like he actually had a shot at it, too, you know? He and- did. What's funny too is that when I, you know, when I was young, when I was a kid, I was like, um, you know, I used Uh-oh. to, act, I used to act too, and I was oh, like okay. very, you know, like small parts in the commercial here or there, and I lived down in San Diego, so I really was only going to like an audition a month. This was like for a few years. I had like an agent and whatever. You would go out on calls, and it was always like amazing to me, even as a young person, that I was like, you would kind of not rub elbows, but you'd see people who were like in shows like i remember going to this audition this is this is deep dive here probably might be well before your time there was a tv show called small wonder you know about this show no vicky who is a robot and you know it was like this i mean it's it kind of in that same era as alf and like you know they had a she had a there was a mom and a dad and a brother and then they had this you know daughter who was like a robot or whatever and, um, you know, the kid was like one of these, he looked like this nerdy, chubby little kid. You'd see him on TV. He thought he was like 10 or something when I was 10. And then I went to like an audition and I see him there and the guy's got like, you know, a cut off shirt and he's got hairy <laughs> armpits and, you know, he's, 
like a foot and a half taller than you've seen him on TV and bad acne. And you were just like, like, Oh my God, like, look at these, you know, like people grow up, you know? So welcome um, to showbiz, dude, baby. Small, I've never heard of small wonder. Um, also I don't, I'm curious how old you think I am. Go ahead, throw it out there, Isaac. Oh, is, this a, is this a trick question? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You look maybe like you're in your late twenties, early thirties. Oh man, I love it. I'm 36, unfortunately. Oh, okay. <laughs> maybe it's that youthful spirit. I don't know how old do you guys think. I mean, I already told you how old I am. Do I? Look? I know. I'm a good listener too, Isaac. So I know. I'm sure yeah. Clark. How old do you think he is? He said he's 63. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and well, also look good for your age. 66, actually. But thank you. That's no. So, uh, Small Wonder came out the year I was born in '85. Okay. And I've, I've never heard of it. I might have to look this up. Here, the IMDb synopsis is the zany adventures of a suburban family, their next door neighbors, and an innovative robot designed to look like a human child. Yeah, that's right. She looks terrifying. Oh, it's cra- it's a crazy show. Um, but, you know, just <laughs> you're looking at the guy, look at the guy who plays the brother. Like, I think I ran into when I was at that same audition. He was there. And so was Brian Austin Green. Uh-oh. This was like pre- even 90210 days. Like I knew Brian Austin Green from this movie of the month to bring this up again, like an HBO movie about the kid goes to visit their, their aunt in Venice and they get like, you know, they smoke weed and they go a party. They're like, live this kind of a latchkey life, latchkey summer or whatever. So it was like weird to me when you would see people, you know, like whatever. So I know a lot of people know Mitchell Musso and you see him and he's like more of an adult, I guess, than he was on the show where he was like a little kid to me. I had no reference for that. And Mitchell especially is like this total sweetheart too. He's like this, you know, wonderfully like earnest and, and like nice person. And he really, especially like for some reason, you know, he took like a shine to me and was like, I really think you're like the coolest and I want you to, I want to do a great job in this movie, which, you know, that's like endearing to me. Not to- you, you know, I bring him up, not just because I was a fan of Hannah Montana, but also again, in my um, long and lustrous career in film theory in school, uh, vertigo is one of my favorite things to think about because I always, I'm almost always like face blind when it comes to actors and honestly, I think it helps horror movies not to be familiar with people because it always brings an outside element. Like if you see Tony Todd pop up in a low budget horror movie, he's either going to die. He's either a one second cameo, um, which could involve dying or he's the villain. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, dumb. Like well, if he if, shows up and he's the cable guy, it's like, oh, it's him. If you guys, I mean, have been interviewing other people, is has this not come up? Has anyone explained to you the like? kind of behind the scenes rundown of how this works. If so, I would love to dispense with the illusion of what is going on in horror movies and just tell you how this works. You've opened the door. We'll enter the house. Yeah. Pull the curtain back, please. Let me unlock this door. And you walk. (laughs) Horror movies need an actor, a name value. So in our instance, you know, like I was given a list of actors who I thought would be, you know, who we, who would meet that standard of being able to like sell this movie. There were three, the three top names on that list were take this wild guess at the first two, you know, who number three is. Cause he's in the movie. Hayden Christensen. 
wrong. <laughs> Damn it, Clark. Oh, all right. So we're talking for the for the Jamie Kennedy role. Yeah. Just right. right off the top of your head, I bet you if you really maybe maybe I'm being too like uh Kenny Trejo. Know. Oh, that's not bad. Close but no cigar. Think think horror movies and think that part. Jim sure. Cummings. Okay. Hold on, <laughs> Sorry, hold on. No, we can do this. We can do yeah. this. Uh but, 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 Lorenzo Lamas. Oh god. God, that would have been amazing. The number one the number one person that was on the top of that list, Bruce Campbell, for that part. Oh. Oh, I think that it would have hammed it up too much. Yeah, I love Bruce Campbell. Yeah. I don't know if it would have hammed it up more than Jamie Kennedy, but like Bruce Campbell, that was like that's dream, you know, material. Number what? two, hold Bruce on, hold on, before we move on from there. By the way, would have done it, but was not available that day, and we could not switch the days around. Oh, Wait, I'm sorry, I talked over you. What did you say? He said he was available. And he was going to do it. But was he wasn't available. available, and would have done it. But he was not available that day. Oh, Bruce Campbell? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Here's the thing with Bruce. If he popped up out of that car, I have expectations with Bruce Campbell. And I would be like, oh, kind of excited. When Jamie Kennedy, Kennedy popped out of there, I'm like, oh, no, we're making a weird hard turn here. <laughs> and I was thinking it was going to be bad. And then Jamie came out and I loved it. It was great. It was, it was literally like... Like Mitchell Musso, I'm like, oh no, wash up movie. And I'm like, oh, he's good. And you played two character, but kind of against where I thought it was going. Jamie Kennedy, low expectation, came out, loved him. So I I don't know. I think the low expectation entry that you've created with everything just worked for you. Well, sometimes you get lucky, you know. The the other person that we almost that we tried to get, but we couldn't afford which I thought would have been great for this, but, you know, not meant to be. So, you know, like what happened, happened. David Hasselhoff. Oh, that would have been, that would have changed it too. That would have changed it too. But, you know, I mean, this is what you sign up for. You know, we had a different sure. person who was maybe going to play the lead of the movie and did something couldn't be worked out with her. And then that didn't happen. And she was a totally different look than Brooke Butler. And, you know, we got broke and that was all great, too. So you never know. You know, David Hasselhoff, I think, wanted like $60,000 for the oh. day. We couldn't afford that. So, um, Wait, ah, man, but also, no. I love Jamie Kennedy, too. Like, um, Jamie and I talk like semi-regularly and Jamie was along the same, you know, like sentiment that you are too where he pretty much called me up after working on the movie because he's like you know you take a part on these things you're just there for like a day and yeah just assume they're gonna turn out like dog shit you know maybe or maybe not but he was like i actually love this movie and he's like i have like i just felt like i was watching the movie thinking like this is better a lot better than i expected it to be and i you know like will give, give you credit for that. So me and him still like, we'll talk occasionally, you know, when necessary or something. He had tried to like put me up for a job or something like that. Cause he was like, I like, I like what you did, but. That's rad. Dude. Well, I, I can imagine being in your shoes, Isaac, and you look at that list and you're like, Bruce Campbell. Amazing. Because that's, you know, the part like just works for him or like David Hasselhoff. And you're like, amazing, because that, you know, it just works. And then you get and then what a departure with Jamie Kennedy. I mean, he's also got horror movie baggage because in Scream, he's Randy and he's the dude that people. Yeah. And they idolize. But he's also known as like the the fourth wall breaker. He's kind of like the Deadpool of horror movies. So when he pops out. 
you just don't know what direction you're trying to like create here by having him on set because you know an audience always assumes that you know isaac made this movie exactly the way he wanted to and which is correct actually yeah and hey that's privileged i mean your movie came out like uh in a way because there's so many random things that you really can't control so you're trying to like move it around and and hopefully you get lucky too you know we had this conversation with jamie beforehand and i just told him like look, we have the lines and then we have you So <laughs> get in there and start riffing and you can kind of say whatever you want, you know, just let's do a bunch of takes, you know, cause I can throw out stuff too. Like I'm into the whole, like, you know, thinking of a bunch of different funny versions of lines and things like that. Like that's kind of something that just happens in real life that, you know, I think, you know, like your brain can latch onto, but like, I mean, he's, He's great at it. When I was a kid, or when I was like younger too, I wanted to be a kid, but I was like maybe 25. I literally used to tape um, the Jamie Kennedy experiment. And <gasps> there was a TV show that was on after that called Blind Date. Yeah. And yeah. In like 2001, I had this little TV VCR that was in my room and you could set it to record. So I had one tape I would leave in there and I was working long hours. So like, I think from midnight to one, it would tape you know, Jamie Kennedy experiment and blind date. And then I'd get home, I'd lay in bed and watch those movies. And then I would repeat the process the next day. <laughs> and just, you know, so I had them or whatever. It was like an early version of like DVR or something like that. You know, you just had one tape. You just use it on repeat. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of funny. Cause I felt like even certain crew members are like, wow, Jamie Kennedy is going to be here. This must be like a really big deal for you. You know? And I was just like, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. What are you going to do? And then he sit down and he's like so funny and irreverent and cool that I was like, I mean, I just told him that. I was like, oh, yeah, dude. I'm like, I used to just t- tape the Jamie Kennedy experiment and watch it when I got home every night. That's like my dream job is just basically dressing up and fucking with people. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I just I have to pound this home because as a horror fan. It's so perfect, like Jamie Kennedy. I just he plays a cop who shows up in a situation where people desperately need help. So you know, as an audience member, you're like, "Here we go, we can save people." And then it's Jamie Kennedy who deflates horror movies and knows what to do. And he gets out of that goddamn car, doesn't get killed instantly, and you're like, "Wait, what's happening?" He's he's broken it, and then he walks up and he's just like, "What's going on here, y'all lesbians?" Yeah. <laughs> And I just, I love it. And I, I well, you know, he's meant to bring that comic relief to the movie sure. in, in a more like pronounced way, you know, but you know, the, the horror movies, like they depend on the devices. So there has to be devices in place to like, you know, bring hope at the right moment or, you know, take away people's phones. Cause that's a thing. How do you get the phones out of people's hands? You know, otherwise what if anyone just, you know, called police or <laughs> called for help, then yeah. you're like, then there's no movie. Yeah, and I think I, stuff that people will criticize. You know, like you may love that, and someone else is happy to get up there on social media, um, which is like, again, like I am not one of those type of people who's like phony, shy, or fake about like saying what they do. Like some people are like, I don't read reviews of my films. I don't pay attention to what the social media says, and I'm like fuck that. Okay. I want to know what people are saying. And I read all the reviews, good and bad. I want to know, you know, what people like, what people don't. So, 
you know, I feel like it's a, you develop a little bit of a thick skin, you know. Um, and, and, uh, Isaac, I think you might be a sadist, dude. Now, we, we now normally whenever um, uh, people who listen to the show for a long time now know, we normally meet people like live on here to record. And um, I actually had an opportunity. We, we spoke on the phone briefly before uh, today. And Isaac straight up told me that he'll get like the typical death threats because somebody didn't like your movie, people will DM him that. Isaac will fucking answer them. And I don't know why you engage with this, but I, I think you like it. Now that I can see you over there smiling. I don't, can you, know, you, you tell that story to Clark? Because he wasn't there when we were talking. So, you know, I have, I've been, nobody's hit me up for a little while because as the movie, you know, is like slowly falls out of circulation. But I want to say over the course of like a few years, like, Every few months, I would get a DM from someone basically saying, like, fuck you. I fucking hate you. I saw your movie, and it was the worst piece of shit, and I want to fucking kill you. Fuck your mother. Like, that type of shit. And sometimes from Americans, sometimes from foreigners, there was definitely an Arabic dude who hit me up, like, you know, and you could just read in the writing the, like, Fuck you, motherfucker. I'm gonna fucking kill you. <laughs> fuck you, mother. You are shit. You know, movie is shit. You suck. You know, like that type of stuff. And then, yeah, I would like write them back and I have like a sort of basic response which says, like, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is, thank you for giving me your time and watching this movie and sharing your thoughts with me. The bad news is, you're never gonna get that 90 minutes back of your life. <laughs> Which would they follow oddly, up? Yeah, would you would you keep engaging? Which oddly would elicit usually like a funny response from someone. Yeah. Like I think the last time that I got was some kids from Philly. You know, if you know the slang, they were like, Yo, motherfucker, we checked out your John and your John fucking sucks, Yons. You know, like whatever they said, you know, like that. And you know, just they, people just I don't know what they're doing out there, you know. It's it doesn't I feel like if you let it bother you, I can understand that. I do feel like The Sand is such a specific film that, like, you are allowed to not care about something like that, you know? Especially just as, like, this point of reference about it in terms of, like, everything I've told you guys. You know, is it, like, definitely some people said to me, like, you know, who had some impression of me as a more serious filmmaker that they're, like, don't make this film like this is, <laughs> this is not going to be good for you. You know, like I would not do that if I were you, that type of sentiment. And I always felt like, you know what? When it's your own movie and you wrote it, you are going to be a little more fucking psychotic about each shot and the performance and that. And for me, I was like the upside of doing something like this is like, you get to cut your teeth on something that you're not so precious about. And so you can just get in there and kind of like allow yourself to try things. And, you know, I wouldn't say have fun because in a way making movies, not that fun of an experience. And in that way, like it's a lot of work and it takes a lot of concentration and you got to be ready for a lot of stuff that's going to get like, you know, come towards you. Um, so I wouldn't describe it in fun in that way, but I felt like, the sand was a very specific situation that like was a nice intro to allowing people to like shit on something you're doing without having to take it overly personal, you know? 
Isaac, that's a weird thing too. Now, um, clearly like Clark and I, we love the type of film you made and what we're really looking for is like heart and like real effort. And we've shown a film before, um, at another hole in the head. I I won't go into details on it, but we thought it was like, it was bonkers and it was fucking hilarious. And one of our buddies played a Amazon prime driver who gets, uh, who runs over a kid in like the first five minutes of the movie. And we just, we knew we're like, dude, show this in front of a crowd and it's going to be a fucking blast. Now at the time we had a couple uh filmmakers out and they were staying at our house and we um, invited them out and they came and they, they'd been like living with Clark for a week and they're just like, Oh, he's so nice. And you, you took him around and you showed him all the city and we went to the screening and it was, it was like room-esque where people were kind of laughing with the movie, maybe in an unintentional times, but there were applause breaks. People were screaming, laughing their fucking heads off, like just like laughing at the point of tears and headaches. And then it was at a film fest. So when they walked out and were rating it, people were giving it ones all over the place. And somebody and the, our filmmaker friends came up and said, hey, um, uh, we just want to like talk to you. Like we we know you guys are like great people and you're nice and you opened up your home to us and you've taken care of us. Well, we just don't understand why you showed this movie. And me and Clark are looking at each other. And we're like, what is wrong with this culture? Like if a movie isn't like highbrow by the books, perfect, then it's bad. And it's like, but you're, I was in that fucking room. It was the best thing that showed that day. It was fun. It was so much fun. And people came out laughing. Everybody was talking about it. And then they're like, yeah, it fucking sucked. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's something wrapped up in our id where if we enjoy art that we think is like less than perfect, we have to like shit on it or something. So I, I'm curious if those people DMing you just aren't, I don't know if they haven't looked in and realized like, Hey, me and my buddies were drinking and we had a blast watching the sand. But at the end of the day, I went on IMDb and I gave it a one and a death threat and they felt the need to tell you. Well, you know, that's the thing too, that, you know, this, again, this film is such a particular, like, uh, it's like a unique example of like, when you could do something like that and you could also just take a step back from that, all that too, you know, it's like, I don't know. Like I understand all everyone's issues with the culture and how like you could try to do something that's weird and shit on to me. Horror is like such a, one of the best things about horror as a genre is like, you can do all this different stuff and try these different things and do stuff that's inappropriate in a way, almost like, like how comedy maybe a little more used to be, you know, where you can really yeah. like say or do anything that you wanted. And that was like kind of off limits to someone saying like, Hey, that's not acceptable or that's not this. And I'm like, horror is still somehow this, you know, territory that's like off limits to people in essence saying like, you can or can't do it. And so you can, I can take people's, you know, opinions and stride about it. If people want to say your fucking movie sucks or you suck, that's, <laughs> that's okay. You know, or if they don't get it, that's fine too. I just feel like, uh, you know, that's, that's like a common thread with people and that's often repeated. And sometimes it, you know, makes sense. And sometimes it just sounds recycled when people say that, but like, you know, like you make a piece of art or you do something and you put it out there and it's not up to you, like how people are going to respond to that. So you got to kind of like 
you know, be prepared for anything good or bad that people might say. When people enjoy it, that's fantastic and uh, makes it really fun to like, you know, go into details or talk about it or tell the stories behind it. And if people hate it too, in a way, at first look, that's like, oh, that sucks, you know, that like, well, it might hurt you or hurt your feelings. And at the same time, I'm like, you should be happy people are hating something enough to take the time to like, write you and be like, fuck you, I want to kill you, you know? I mean, hopefully nobody actually tries to kill you over how bad your movie is, but like, that to me was the funniest fucking thing ever. So maybe I'm a sadist, I don't know. No, yeah. Now, I'm going to take an opportunity. Isaac, if you ever go back and listen to the show, you'll probably hear Clark and even guest hosts giving me shit on how I rate movies. If, if I do a one to five thing, I do it on an emotional scale. So mm. five is a movie that I love, which in no respect am I trying to reflect technical prowess or acting or anything. It's just, did I have a blast with it? And one... Movies I hate are movies that when people talk about them, I get like animated. Like I fucking hated World War Z and I get like, I have to talk about it. So honestly, in my rating system, three is the worst because I feel apathetic normally to these films. Like they made no impression and I forget I watched them. It's a godlike complex you have where it's, <laughs> it's, it's lukewarm water. Yeah. What do you I like mean? That almost Christopher Nolan esque the way that it required like a minutes long explanation. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I feel like what you were just articulating falls in line with that. Where uh, again, the opposite of love is not hate; it's apathy. Like right. if you feel apathetic to somebody, it's nothing. You have no attachment. We're like we've all seen those shitty action movies where there's a girl and a guy and they're fucking brawling it out in the hotel room and. Who knew when they were grappling, they started making out. I feel like that love-hate line is very thin. So when people feel animated enough to give you a death threat, I don't know. Something really worked there. They could be besties. I, yeah. <laughs> you definitely got to someone. I'll, I'll say that much, you know. You'll be rolling around the DMs, and next thing you know, it turns into a picture conversation. And God. <laughs> No, Isaac, I just, I wanted to make it clear that uh, even though I'm sure IMDb, again, is the worst uh, way to review a movie, everybody there is a troll, but, um, you know, I hope I'm articulating for people that you, you fucking knocked it out of the park with the sand, and I'm looking, we've kept you almost for an hour and a half, and we didn't even get to half of the shit I wanted to talk to you about. Bring him back. Yeah, I think we're going to, if you want, I know you're busy. But we sh we should probably have you back again because yeah, you got a fucking found footage movie that you shot out here in the city that uh, we, we just don't have enough time to get into because I watched it and I want I have many questions. So, well, yeah, we, we can, of course, dude, we can pick this up again. This has been fun. OK. And um, man, dude, there's really so much to cover. I mean, there's, like you know, the. The entire like sprawling movie, whatever happens behind the scenes, whatever happened on this show or that show. But like you guys were trying to ask me about pines and about this and we didn't, <laughs> we didn't get to all that, you know? Well, I know. And honestly, I, um, I'm kicking myself for not trying to get you to expound on the, the seagull because the seagulls play an interesting background character in the sand that I, we just need to hear more conversation about. Uh, you know, I mean, that's um, a credit to the writers. You know, that was they created the, you know, seagull element. And, uh, you know, the VFX people were able to, like, you know, film 
I mean, we had a lot of seagulls out there, period, on the beach because it's the beach. And um, wow, look at that. And, um, <laughs> you know, they were able to film, you know, seagulls at various angles doing different things and then manipulate that footage, basically. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought they- it was completely CGI. Like, no, I mean, a lot of the stuff that they filmed were like they would film the seagulls and then, they, you know, they created like a base armature and kind of put the skin on the like, you know, on these, you know, virtual armatures of uh, the seagull to manipulate them. Like when they're getting dragged under the sand, obviously we didn't do any kind of practical stuff with stuff like that. But they were able to, you know, get out there and just shoot stuff and then manipulate what they could from there. So. so, yeah, you're known uh, as the plant murderer, not the animal harmer. Oh my God. <laughs> no, and for people, I, again, we don't have a visual component. No Clark, animals were harmed in the making of this movie, by the way. <laughs> Clark excitedly reached back and grabbed the, the toy of the seagull from the lighthouse that we have, that I believe uh, uh, Carlos Customs, former Bay Area custom toy maker, made. And he, I believe he actually forgot that at one of our film fests at his booth. But, um, what's I, funny in the movie that we were going to make too, there was also a seagull element to that, you know, where like a, you know, the seagull gets caught inside like a, you know, the fishing line or whatever in the fish hook and gets dragged to death. Oh, um, you know, which is bad luck on a boat to kill a seagull on a boat. Ah. I, so, haven't seen, I, I haven't seen the lighthouse yet. I've been meaning that's on my list of things to watch, but uh, I understand there's a, you know, any, any messing with a seagull in maritime, anything is bad, bad luck. Yeah. Um, the lighthouse is a three for me on the emotional scale of you're, movies. You're an idiot. <laughs> From what I saw in the preview, it looked, it looked great. I, I it's, was, it's wonderful. people. It's overrated. And, you know, I do it's go, not. I go ass over eggs any day. Um, what? At Robert Egg, wait, Eggers and uh, what's the Ari other? Aster. Ari Aster and uh, Robert Eggers. So ass over eggs. You're, you don't mean that. I don't, oh, no, I don't. I go eggs over ass. Yes, you do. My bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. And even though, you know, I wasn't a fan of The Lighthouse, I did love The Witch. The vi- I think I saw it three times in the theater. And that was, that was d- solely due to Chris Columbus's uh, oh, yeah, involvement. And I, I saw it at the Alamo with like a TV crew, and I fucking hated it the first time. Sat in the back of the theater, couldn't understand a goddamn word. By the third time, I loved it. And the new film, uh, what, The Norseman? The Northman. Yeah, the Northman. That looked, uh, looked cool. I don't know. I feel Very, like yeah. he's treaded too close to home for me. Those, those are my people. I did take an, an-, an ancestry test. I am. Uh, why are you laughing? Dude, over you're there? like 36 <laughs> percent Narnian. What are you even talking about? I'm like uh, pure Viking, pure and Viking. I got a little bit of Irish and uh, Cameroon, so I can make any joke I want. You're like, you're like <laughs> half a percent. I'm one percent, but I also have Ivory Coast in there. Anyway, That's Isaac, uh, I hope you don't regret this hour and a half we stole from your life. And, I do not. Uh, I do not re- regret nothing, <laughs> dude. Isaac, you're such an open book. I definitely we got to book you seventy more times so we can go back through your whole back catalog and get all the the scoop <laughs> behind a queer eye and <laughs> place beyond the pines. Oh, what a what a what an interesting year of my life that was. 
you worked on it for a year? We shot the when I worked on it, we shot two seasons consecutively, fifty-two weeks in a row of work with no time off. A new episode every week. So they can get two seasons in the bag. Um, and I give huge credit, not per se to like the show in the creative sense, but you know, I, it was really important to me at that time to be trying to get into the IATSE local, which is the International Alliance Theatrical Stagehand Employees. And it's not easy to get into that. And I actually got walked in on that job. Uh, I'd been studying to take the test. And as the show gained popularity, the union actually like brought all the workers into the union on that show. So that show like in a way lives in a very important place in my past as just part of like what became my future of being able to like work in the film business and make my bread and butter and, you know, go to, that's another thing too. I feel like if you are a director or you're like a writer, or you're somebody who's trying to do produce your own films or something, you being on set can be like being in master class every day. If you're paying attention, if you want to just treat it like a blue collar job, you can do that too. make your money and go home and just, you know, whatever it doesn't need to mean anything. But for me, I feel like when I'm on set, I'm like trying to like sponge everything up and, so I give big credit in a way to to queer eye for the straight guy. I was actually I was actually asked to be on the show twice. I know you guys, the public can't see me, but they were always like, Isaac, why don't you let us make you over? <laughs> you know, trim this up, trim this back, whatever they want to do. And I said no. <laughs> oh, why not? Come on, you seem like you're a lot of fun. You you know that's got nothing to do with it. I just, you know. I said, guys, I have big aspirations. All right, I'm trying to make the sand someday. Okay. Yeah, I can't be, I can't be known as the queer eye guy. All right. Well, fuck, Isaac. Um, do you have any plugs? Anything? Or do you have a, a movie in the works? I, I'm a little bummed out that the sand seems to be your only like feature where they gave you a good amount of money. I'd like to see what you would do if you could just, you know, create the whole canvas on your own. I mean, yeah, there's always different projects that, you know, we're trying to gear up to do a new feature. Um, I'm working with some like new producers and, you know, they think that they can get a decent sized budget. So we're just working on that right now, actually, between the break, I'm like trying to, uh, you know, work on the rewrite of of the script and get it punched up to a place that I think maybe we're ready to try to take it out. And, um, you know, like there's a number of scripts that like we've written or if they like have come close to being made and if they if they, you know, are they kind of achieve at a certain level, then they get put into that kind of top tier category of something that like could be made if we were trying to get trying to move forward doing something. The Probably the most important thing that's happened to me happened a few weeks ago when a script that I wrote with my brother and another guy actually made it onto the blacklist, which is oh. like, Oh, hell yeah. Congrats, um, man. Thank you. And that was, that was like a, well, you know, like a very nice feeling of like accreditation from, you know, a lot of other like gifted writers and people who, you know, have made that list. It's a very, it's a very hard list to get onto, not to sound like, you know, Rudy Tootie here with my own horn, but I was like, it was a, it was like a big deal to me, you know, quietly to like actually have like got the recognition to get on the list. Um, so that was something that like, I don't know how that translates into whatever is going to happen next, but 
in the short answer, yes, there's definitely projects and things that are in the mix and, you know, we're pursuing those. So, uh, I just can't say too much about them right yet. So. Also, I haven't, Kiko, I haven't given up if that's what you're asking. Like, <laughs> no. And, and I'm just curious if you would go horror or like art house. Cause I feel like you, you've got a lot of, uh, ideas and talent in there. And I would love to see what like a, I don't know, like an A24 picture made by you would look like. I mean, I, you know, I would, I have horror scripts. I love horror. The horror is right up, you know, never far from what I want to be doing with myself. I also have like, you know, scripts that are in different like genres and stuff. We did complete a short, actually we completed shooting a short, which is just kind of finishing up in post um, that we're like, that I'm really excited about. It's called time travel chicken and is exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) You know, it's just kind of almost like it's veering a little bit into like action horror sci-fi about this, you know, woman who starts seeing a new therapist and uh, you know, the woman tells her to like take a personal inventory and she decides she wants to start eating meat again and asks her husband if he'll go buy a live chicken so she can kill it. And the chicken turns out to be this time traveling super weapon. <laughs> Charlie, are you listening? This sounds right up your alley. <laughs> well, dude, Isaac, uh, you fucking rule, man. I love you. Um, dude, how, you can, how, how can people uh, reach out and give you death threats? I mean, anyone can find me on Instagram. You know, that's probably the easiest way to uh, find out. You know, you just look me up by name and there I am. Anything else? You got no TikTok or anything? Uh, no, I don't do TikTok. I sometimes, you know, I have a Facebook, but I don't really, I haven't really been checking that very much. Facebook's a little bit uh, on the outs with me. I don't, I don't, I don't like appreciate the company is it's so much. So, I, you know, even though I know Instagram is run by Facebook, whatever. Yeah. Uh, did you switch uh, to Parlor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, but no, you can always find me there. I don't, I don't really do TikTok, but not to sound like such a Luddite about it. I just haven't really, um, maybe I have an account. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't go on there very much. Yeah, we don't do TikTok either. Actually, Clark has a TikTok. I've been on it once. <laughs> I like it. Somehow you seem to imply that you're like, we are big tech TikTokers in your no. home. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't fuck with that China app. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I don't. Uh, I don't TikTok too much, but um, yeah, you can find me there. And I don't know. I know I don't have anything to add, but we should all we should catch up again. I'm sure there's more to talk about. I, so. uh, for people listening, I have so I <laughs> have a page of notes for a movie we didn't even get to. So uh, we'll be we'll be bothering you in the future. Okay, very good, guys. Thanks, Isaac. Isaac. Love you, man. Thanks so much you. for your time. Absolutely. All right. Right.